Welcome listeners to Sleep, Eat, Perform and Repeat. This is a podcast on high performance. It will be presented by myself, David Clancy, and my two co-hosts, Connor Gavin and Kieran Dunn. What we're striving to achieve here is figure out what makes high performing individuals tick, why they do what they do, and why are they successful. Rate and review, share with your friends, but most importantly, enjoy. Welcome listeners to Sleep, Eat, Perform, Repeat, episode number 59. Today we spoke to Bernard Jackman, successful businessman, former head coach, and former professional rugby player with Leinster Rugby and Ireland. To start the interview, Bernard discusses the art of coaching and the movement into professional rugby for him during his playing days. We then take a journey into the transition from high-performance sport into the business world and what these two competitive environments can learn from one another. Key themes such as teamwork, benchmarking and effective communication are brought to light. Thanks for joining us, Bernard. Hi guys, welcome to another episode of Sleepy Perform Repeat. I'm delighted to say we're joined here by a former Leinster man, Bernard Jackman. David, the big monster man, will be delighted to introduce him. I'm very much looking to hearing your story today, Bernard. You're somebody that has done an awful lot, played a lot of sport at a high level, you know, represented Ireland, your country, played for Connacht Leinster, played in England, with Sale, but also had a very extensive career in coaching. And now you're an analyst for RT and you're also now in the business environment working for Refinitiv, which you just shed a little bit of light on there for us prior to the call. So I suppose where I'd like to start is tell us a little bit about what day-to-day is like for you now and kind of how that transition's going from, you know, having played... Now you're in you're in the business world. Yeah, I've always I never intended to be a professional player or coach. Yeah. A coach more sorry, that's a lie. I, I always intended to be a professional coach. While I was playing, I was fascinated by the art of coaching and wanted to give that a go once I finished playing. But professionalism for me kind of happened by chance. You know, nowadays there's guys of 15, 16, and their goal is to be a professional player and you know, if they're in the Leinster school system or Munster school system or Munster youths they kind of know where they are in the depth chart and, and it's a it's a realistic goal in our career for, for certain people. Um, I left school um, and my goal was to play IL. You know, I hadn't played Irish schools or Leinster schools or anything like that. Um, I just wanted to go and go to Dublin, go to university, you know, have a club where I could get some competitive rugby and, and you know, socialise as well with um, and the social aspect of, of rugby in, 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 in AIL at the time was, was, was huge. So, I studied international marketing in Japanese in DCU. I did that for two years. I was supposed to go to Japan for my third year. And just coincidentally, rugby went professional. And um, Warren Gatland had played against me that year. He, he'd been coach, player coach at Goesians. Goesians had played Clontarf in an in a AIL game. I was a hooker. He was a hooker. And he went back to New Zealand. I don't know if you uh, remember this, but he went back to New Zealand. He, uh, and then Eddie O'Sullivan fell out with the Connacht branch about a contract and Warren Gatlin got offered the Connacht job at the last minute. It was the first year of professional rugby in Ireland. He rang me up, he needed a hooker and he offered me a, a contract and I was supposed to go to Japan as I said. We had a good discussion. He said, listen, I don't think you should go to Japan. Be, you'd miss an opportunity to be one of the first ever professional players in Ireland. Why, but I also think you should get your education. So why don't you transfer into a different course in DCU and combine both for, for two years. So I ended up getting a business studies degree and obviously going down the, the playing career. But um, as I said, that, that, you know, my first initial study or 
port of call was international marketing in Japanese. So I ended up with a business studies degree. And while I was playing rugby professionally, you know, I opened up a couple of retail shops in uh, in in Kildare called Gala. Gala is the is the franchise. Um, I've been working with lots of business teams around things like resilience, around high performance. So um, I've always had an interest in it. And um, yeah, now I'm, I'm I've gone to the dark dark side, and I, I usually put on a suit on a, in the morning. Uh, but yeah, I'm an account manager for a company called Refinitiv, which is better known as Thomson Reuters. So effectively, Refinitiv and Bloomberg will be the two big players in the in the data and com, com space for financial institutions. And uh, I've been looking enough to get a job as account manager for Ireland. And yeah, it's going great. I manage um, a certain amount of key accounts for, for the company in Ireland. And uh, I'm really enjoying it completely different. We've 18,000 people in our organization and we have 180 products, uh, very complex, very different than, you know, coaching, but you know, I, I like to challenge myself and um, I find learning fascinating and, you know, I'm in at the deep end. There's a bit of imposter syndrome, but mm. I think that gets you, you know, it makes you alive and, uh, yeah, I'm enjoying it. And how much from that world of sport? Like, it's quite an interesting story. You were a student athlete, yeah. right? And then you're one of the first to really brought in with that professional sort of year. How much do you take back from those years and even then Leinster and kind of making an Ireland and your caps in Ireland and you bring into the sphere where you are now and... I think um, the big thing for me is teamwork and particularly when you're selling products and services as complex as, as I am, yeah. um, effectively you're not a one-man band. You know, I really rely on the on the different experts that are in our company and, you know, some of them are in different time zones. Uh, most of them are, to be honest, and it's a case of coordinating people together to get a project from, from point A to, to, to point Z. And I'm loving that, to be honest. I'm loving the, the challenge of... I suppose find out what the client needs and then find the solution and then put together the team that I need to, um, as I said, to complete that. And um, that's something as a as a player or as a or as a coach or you know a head coach or assistant coach, you're you're very reliant on people in your organisation. The only difference is that this this organisation is, as I said, so big and, and, and it's a worldwide project. Whereas obviously in a in in, in Grenoble or, or Leinster. Um, everybody's on site pretty much yeah. you know you might have a couple of experts who work as consultants but everybody's on site but yeah it's still the challenge of I suppose being able to react on your fees and um, being able to yeah just find solutions that's the that's the key and it's very similar in sport as well if you're if you're not getting the type of performances you want it's your ability to try and find solutions and, and try and make a plan to make it better. Exactly I suppose in a corporate environment you're having to win and produce every single day yeah well as you know in sport, it's very much the same, but maybe have a couple more days off. Was we're, we're finding more often than not when we're talking to the guys that have made the transition. Damien Vardy, for one, now working for Morgan Stanley, yeah. says every single day he really does have to show up. There's never, ever even a light off recovery day for the guy. You know? Yeah, in his new job. Yeah, 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 yeah it is. It's, it's, and I suppose particularly you maybe have that pressure that you put internally as a, as a, as a, as a player you used to handle the pressure, as a coach you used to handle the pressure. Yeah. But you know, when you change career, particularly if you're starting off a career at what's Damien, 36, 37, yeah. is he, or I'm 43, um, you're very conscious that you might not have the background or the your identity. Your identity is probably a little different than the guys that are there that, you know, have been there for five or six years and you're coming from what you've done and you yeah. can bring what you have, Yeah, but it's still different. Yeah, it's still different. And I think that, that, that internal, internal pressure to want to, I suppose, uh, perform and please. Yeah. And, you know, you want to vindicate yourself. You want to, as quickly as possible for people 
not to say, oh, there's the rugby coach yeah. or there's the pundit. Yeah. You know, and, and, and the great thing about me is I'm in sales. So, um, you know, we just finished Q4. My numbers are really good. You know, and again, that's not the only thing that you're going to be judged on, but it's one of those measurables. Yeah. And I think, again, coming from high-performance sport, I, I like things that are measurable. That's why I want to get into sales because I want in black and white at the end of every day, week, year, where I've done, or how I've done, and how can I compare to other people yeah. in a company? How does that compare with maybe external benchmarking? Um, and it just gives you, it gives you very, it gives you one measure metric that's, that's pretty um, black and white. Very good. Brilliant. So you mentioned imposter syndrome. So you're going into a big meeting, you're in France, mm. corporate events. Yeah. Do you have any strategies you use that you maybe got from sport that you say, right, I'm going in to reframe my focus or anything like that? Yeah, no, well, I think the big thing to do is, and the biggest learning I think that I have from, from sport is, is just how, how important that pre-planning for a meeting is, yeah. you know, pre-mortem. Like, so effectively understanding the agenda understanding the people in the room, understanding the uh, the likely questions, the likely challenges, uh, trying to have as much homework done in terms of, you know, from, from our point of view, is are they a, an existing customer? What they use office? Um, and that, that's a great thing about the, like, the CRM systems now is that you have a, a, you know, a really good track record of, you can do a lot of homework, you know, and the same from a sporting point of view, you're playing Saracens on, on Saturday, you know, there's a lot of information and data you can use to help prepare you for that match. Um, and for me, for you know, that's what I try and do is I try and have a pre-mortem about, you know, as I said, all the factors that I can predict that could happen uh, at that meeting, and have as much prep done as possible. And then I think that helps you perform better. It certainly helps me perform better. I, I like to know as much as possible of what I'm going to face. Um, and then obviously, once you've done your homework and you've got a plan together, then it's just a case of executing it. So. From a sporting point of view, I think that the preview review um, process that I bring into business is is a, is a big help. And then obviously, uh, as, you know, I said the review, the, the post mortem is okay. Well, you know what happened at the meeting. You know how did I perform? How did my team perform? You know, was there things that came up that we didn't predict? Uh, Something could have done better. Maybe. There's always room for improvement. You know, and um, and you know even if it went really well, well then did you maximize the fact that it went really well? And and, and did you you know did you really um, drive home the key key points that were you know were on your agenda or that you needed to, or did you adapt really well you know and that's that's once you get used to that rhythm of adapt, preview, yeah, pivot exactly prep prep yeah uh, you just you just become a cycle and it sounds really boring and but when you're that's the that's the that's the background I come from yeah. um, well then the best chance of me being successful is to is to replicate that in a different environment because so, it works if it, if it works in high performance sport. Um, it'll work in, in business, and to be honest, there's a lot of there's a lot of parallels between high-performing people in, in business and sport, and likewise high-performing teams in business and sport. So you're talking about winning strategies, um, working on performance, sport, business. You've done a lot of very interesting things. You've written a book, yeah, yeah, Blue Blood. You've travelled extensively. You've learned another language. Your family can speak a different language. Yeah. You've played and coached yeah. in different places, and now you're pushing outside your comfort zone yet again. Yeah. So I suppose the next question kind of logically has to be, well, what next? You know, you're a guy that's yeah. always strive to challenge yourself yeah. and push. Yeah, I, I, I just think I want, I just want to keep developing as, as much as I possibly can. And um, I think the more, the more unique experiences I have, um, the better. And I've been really lucky. Everything's kind of, 
always opened up. Opportunities have always opened up for me. But also, I would say that I've opened opportunities for myself along the way. But yeah, I don't know what next. Like, I'd love to. I'd love to be very successful in the corporate world. I could see myself going back coaching again at some stage. But uh, but I want to make sure I go back in, in, as a better coach. And again, I think the, the experience I'm getting in business now will help me be a better coach because a head coach, a head coach is actually becoming less and less about actual coaching. Uh, so in the Dragons, for example. Um, you know, we had a we had no CEO for uh, about nine months, and, and I ended up being dragged into a lot of non rugby stuff, which is mm-hmm. great experience for what I'm doing now. So you're, you know, you're involved in HR, you're involved in in, in marketing, you're involved in um, operations. So, and that's the way a lot of head coaches are. There's not many head coaches left, like who would I say, like Joe, who basically was kind of hands on on the field, mm-hmm. um, and yeah, then was kind of driving the whole culture and and driving the whole organization um, you know someone like Warren Gatlin who I'm very close to you know he does a lot of the management mm-hmm. you know and then he has his coaching team to, yeah. to look after day to day coaching so this is this is great experience for me and yeah I'm really enjoying it I suppose it will very much in, inform and help you if you do go back to coaching because you're just learning each and every day all yeah. those different elements away from the rugby which you already know yeah and the big thing for me was I think um, and I know this from speaking to a lot of coaches and I mentor some coaches and help them a lot of coaches are coaching because they fear they can't do anything else. And the longer I stayed in it, the more that was in the back of my mind. You know, there's a bit of a trend at the moment in some of the tech companies, and it's called No More Lookalikes. I don't know if you've heard about it, but uh, effectively, they're looking for people from different backgrounds. Cognitive uh, diversity. Yes. Kind of, I've come across what I've called Matthew Syed recently. Yeah, yeah, he's, he's that interesting guy. Yeah. That's right, yeah, everybody has a good book. Actually. Just, just read it. Yeah, yeah, yeah um, I listen to most of his podcasts, but... Uh, Effectively, that's there's a kind of as I said, there's a trend at the moment, in, and Dublin's obviously a tech hub at the moment. Yeah. So I, I was talking to a few tech companies, and um, effectively, that was my avenue in because I, I was from a different background. Yeah. But the reality is, a lot of coaches aren't aware of that you always have to. Doesn't just because there's a, there's a there's an opportunity for diversity doesn't mean you're going to get the job. So for me, I think I'd be a better coach. I think the best coaches don't have a hang up about being in a job because it's a job aren't necessarily there just because it's paying the mortgage. You know, I remember Michael Cech in Leinster, um, he came in 2005 and Leinster needed to change. And he wasn't worried about getting sacked. He was he had made his money in, in, in the fashion business. For him, coaching was something that he wanted to do to obviously be part of being successful and to change an organisation. But he was never worried about, you know, the board calling him in and, and letting him go. And... and I think that was, I, we could see that day to day and I think we respected him more for that because he pushed and pushed to give us the best possible environment. But I think if you're in a job and you're, you're it's such a narrow uh, amount of opportunities for coaches, right? particularly head coaches. And if you feel that's the only way you have of making a living, I just think it puts more pressure on you and then you're not going to create the best possible environment for, for your players and you're going to become internally focused rather than externally focused. And uh, so for me, again, I just think, this is brilliant, and I think uh, you know if you look at most of the famous coaches or the most successful coaches, they were all teachers, mm. and obviously teaching is a, is a big help. The teaching and coaching are very similar, but also they probably always knew they had that teaching to go back to yeah. as well. Um, so they had more security. Whereas I know a lot of the players now have degrees, etc., and, and, and some of them do night course and things. But when you come to 35, 36, and you actually have never worked in a real job. It's quite daunting. And then some of them go into coaching, and that's great. But then suddenly you're 45, 
and you've never worked in, outside of the, the bubble of, of pro rugby, I think it's, um, it is certainly something that people worry about. In terms of teamwork, so you're in business world now and you're looking at people who have a job to pay mortgage, some people. Yeah. Some people are in it because they love it. Yeah. But in sporting world and a lot of elite sport, it's it's their lifeblood. It's what they've been used to for their life. So they would give anything to play for the jersey that they have. Yeah. So there's a different sort of dynamic between a coach and then a business manager or a lead in a certain division. How do you sort of transition that? In terms of communication with people to get the most out of them, yeah. do you have any specific strategies? No, but I think it's I think it's fascinating, and I think that's probably something that is a people talk about transition yeah. and the difficulty of transition. I think part of the difficulty is being able to deal with people who don't have the same motivations as you have, yeah. um, and understanding that that's just part of the way it is. I mean, if you're in in any elite sports team, whether the professional or amateur, and I, I, I've worked with some. You know, um, elite GA teams as well, and I've seen levels of, of dedication and professionalism there that is on a par with any professional team. Um, but you take it as a given that everybody on the bus wants the bus to go forward and as fast as you possibly can. Yeah. And suddenly, then sometimes you go into other organisations, and that necessarily isn't the case. And for whatever reason, and, and you know, politics or whatever, or being hard done by, or, or just a lack of a real purpose in, in those individuals. That's the case. And um, you can give out about it uh, and, and moan about it, or you can accept that that's, that's where they are at that stage of their career. And I suppose the, the most important thing is, I always feel as a coach, is that um, they're not a lost cause. You know, they maybe have been treated properly in the past. They might have been communicated with well enough in the past. They mightn't have uh, felt that they got the payback from the company that they deserve or and, and and maybe it wasn't maybe it's all maybe the fault is, is with them it's not I'm not saying that they've been hard necessarily automatically been hard done by but it's a case of okay well what can I influence you know can I build levels of respect and trust with them that will help help them perform better you know what I mean or you know is there clear enough purpose for, for what we're trying to do as a, as a team within a team you know so um, and each that, that being part of a team might be a project yeah. so you might only be together for four weeks or, or six weeks or some of the longer ones maybe six months but trying to make it as as enjoyable as possible on that journey um, and try and I suppose really make sure that they feel appreciated I think that's the it sounds so basic but um, recognise that people want to do a good job you know I think um, the early days of pro sport was you know you were given you're only given negative feedback um, and which is fine. I think certain people can handle that well, but uh, I think now we're trying to, there's a lot more focus on trying to be more positive yeah. in how we, you know, we phrase things and frame things and um, and not run away from the areas we need to work on, but recognizing good behaviors and recognizing good performance and not being embarrassed or shy about saying to somebody, well, you did a great job there, you know, or you're doing a great job. And I think that's something I probably don't see as much in a corporate world as I did in sport, um, but certainly something that I personally feel I can hopefully um, add value by by helping people come together a bit more. And and to build on that, having had experience in France, Grenoble, mm. Wales, yeah, Japan, yeah. What what have you seen that you can bring in? Kind of, I often admire people that kind of cross pollinate and take little bits of all of them and kind of say. That's how I'm going to help where I am yeah. in the sort of space. Because as an example, Japan, I've read a lot on it. I've been there. Yeah. 
they have some amazing ideas on stillness and what you saw and being present in the moment and all those sort of things. Yeah. What have you seen in your, your journeys and your um, travel? Yeah, so I, when I retired in 2010, I went back and did a master's in UCD and uh, I did a master's in sports and exercise management. But I did a thesis on the correlation between high-performance behavior in sport and business. And um, I actually went to Toyota, uh, the Toyota factory. Um, I went to Rolex. I went to Dyson. I went to... Melbourne Storm, I went to the Crusaders, I went to Man United, I went to Wigan Warriors. So I was just trying to look at successful teams. So Wigan back 10 years ago were the, yeah. the preeminent Ruby League team. Melbourne Storm, I know they got the salary cap trouble, yeah. but they were a very successful uh, Ruby League team and, and had a really good culture. Crusaders, obviously, the same. I went to Sydney Swans, actually, uh, who'd won a AFL. So, and then obviously Dyson are very creative, you know, yeah. engineering focus. Um, Rolex is all about quality. Toyota's about uh, productivity um, and you can just see like success leaves clues so mm. in all those organisations whether it was a sporting organisation or, or a business organisation you kind of the most important uh, the most catching thing is you just know why they're successful you don't need to see their, their profit and loss figures to predict that they're successful you just see you can, kind of smell, it. <laughs> you can smell it yeah, you can smell success and you can smell um, cohesion mm. and you can smell understanding of how they do things that they understand how they do things and they know people know their role in the organization and they're very proud of that like Japan is ridiculous I mean you know the pride they have in in being a one company man or woman for their whole life is yeah. is phenomenal I mean they you know to become a salary man to get a full time permanent position is so competitive and then once they get in there it's like they want to wear that badge you know they want to wear that Toyota badge they want to have the, the polo shirt and they'll wear it out on a Saturday, Sunday. They feel that gives them a status. Mm. Uh, it's it's incredible. It's 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 in fairness, it's a unique culture. Right. You, you could yeah, you couldn't copy that and paste them in Ireland. You know what I mean? But I, I admire that. I admire the fact that they are so proud to yeah. to work for 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 a one party. For one party, yeah, for the whole life. Whereas now you see, and it, and it hasn't really changed. With, you know, the, the the different generation yeah. in Europe now or um, or America. It's like two years in a job yeah. move. Uh, but that hasn't that hasn't happened over there yet. You know what I mean? It will happen. I don't know. I mean, so what do the companies need to do in Ireland and in Europe and wherever to create those people yeah. that are not going to say, "I need to move on now." Two or two years, I need to try something different and better. Too, but yeah. what do they need to I do? Don't know with the answer is because you look at some of the tech companies and how much money and resource they put into, you know, the culture yeah. and uh, the environment and the, and the benefits. And yes, because they're in a market where there's alternatives and people do that as well. It still happens. It still moves. So I, maybe it's unique to the, the Japanese mindset and, mm. and how security is so important for them and the, the feeling of being attached. Whereas maybe part of our culture here is we don't want that kind of lifelong attachment. We want to be able to jump from from A to B to C um, and, and move up the career ladder that way. But um, I think the big, most important thing is companies need to make sure that the, the psychological safety in the, in the environment and I think the the communication needs to probably improve, you know what I mean? Just yeah. people feeling valued, as I said, but also I think personal development plans are, are huge, you know, to actually feel, okay, well, you know, I work for this company, um, this is where I'm at at the moment, this is where my career trajectory could be, yeah. what skills do I need to be able to, to perform, develop, develop up from, from a level three now and I want to get to level six, okay, well, what am I good at? What are my super strengths? Mm. Brilliant. They're going to be really important and obviously keep focusing on those. But if there was weaknesses in my talent set, well, yeah. what are they? Um, 
is there people internally? Have I got a mentor? You know, is there is there uh, onboarding I need to do? So I think once the, for me that's the key that that the, the, the person, the individual, feels that there's opportunity to keep getting better. Mm-hmm. And maybe sometimes they don't think about where they are at the moment. But you know, if you can develop that that understanding of okay, you know, my journey is it's five years time. Yeah. Um, well, what's the little, you know, the, the little markers on the way? Keep reflecting. Kind yeah. of SWOT analysis. Exactly. Yeah. Going, yeah. 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 I'm not sure if you remember, but you gave a London GEA talk in mm-hmm. Ruislip one day. I was in, I was sitting there. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So I'm not sure what you smelt in that dress. <laughs> but uh, it was very much what you're saying there. So you, you sort of message was to have pride in what we're doing. Yeah. Have pride in our jersey yeah. and stuff like that. But Kieran Dealey, great coach. Yeah, spoke um, this morning on text actually. Excellent. Yeah. yeah, great guy. And he had implemented them PDPs, mm. personal development, personal development yeah. plans for all of us. Yeah. And so then we actually had a direction when we were going. Yeah. So little things like we had forty-five minutes for training. Get ready. Do your own things. Yeah. You need to focus on. So that was brilliant. And just in terms of managing people, are you doing that with individual individuals all the time? Not at the moment. No, I am doing it with. Um, so I'm coaching Beckton as well. Yeah. Um, and there's probably a couple of guys I've taken out of that team who I'm trying to mentor rugby and non-rugby, you know, so in terms of career development. Go, yeah. uh, I would have done a lot of that in Grenoble. I would have done a lot of the Dragons. Um, but I, I, I love that. I love trying to help people get better. Um, I was very lucky. People looked after me, um, you know, when I, during my career and kind of gave me a good steer or gave me good guidance. And... Um, you know, my, my big thing is to is to help as many people as I can. The role I have at the moment, um, I'm not necessarily managing people. I don't have any people to report to me. Yeah. Um, but yet I get an opportunity to kind of lead projects. Um, but I, yeah, I would love to, I would see my progression in business would be to to manage a team. I'd love to manage a team of salespeople or or, um, or a team of people. And then you can, then your job is managing them and it's official, you know. Uh, but in around that, unofficially I'm trying to mentor people and, and help them get better and open up doors for them and, and um, get them on the right path that's brilliant yeah. yeah and if you're looking at someone who's had an impact in your career could you name one that was the most impactful yeah Warren Gatland Warren for Gatland. sure yeah so again he gave me his, my first contract and we lost touch um, we lost touch for a long time and then I tried to sign his son um, <laughs> who was a very good player actually and I rang Warren to see could, I, could he do me a favour and uh, from that we got back in touch and then he would have been instrumental in me going to Wales. And, you know, while I was in Wales, um, I spent a lot of time with him. And he's he's somebody he's very clear about his view on what successful teams need to do. He uh, He's able to cut away a lot of the nonsense. And, you know, um, he keeps it very simple, right? uh, very simple. Uh, he's, he's such clarity around how simple it is. It's nearly... It would be very hard as a young coach to go into an interview and say these are the three things that will win because you haven't done it before. Mm. I think that's the challenge as well. I think that sometimes we want to be over, we want to overanalyze things. We want to be over, overly intelligent. And sometimes we're afraid to say, look, just get them really fit, get them together, and give them you know a couple of clear messages on defense attack, and they'll go and do it. You know, and he's able to do that. You know what I mean? And that's not. That's not dumbing it down, but he obviously has this knack of being able to, I suppose, judge the feeling in the team mm-hmm. and do they need more, do they need less, which is probably something that's not easy measure measured, mm-hmm. but he's able to back himself to have that good feeling. And um, yeah, so he Gatlin would be the, probably the most, uh, 
most influential guy from a from a rugby coaching point of view and management point of view? Yeah, well, I, I worked with a, a very well-known doctor, Dr. Phil Batty, and he once said, keep it simple, stupid. Yeah, yeah. You know, just don't deviate, do the good things well as a physio, and that will help you. Yeah. Rolling forward five or ten years, where, what would you like to do? What do, you, what do you like to do next? Just to build a little bit yeah. on kind of what we said, you know, yeah. we're not going to change your career. So what you've done, it's oh, all culminated to a lovely point here now. Yeah. Where do you see yourself going now? Um, I really enjoy the media part of it. So I like doing uh, punditry, so I want to keep getting better at that. Um said I like working with, with teams. Uh, I'm lucky enough I get to speak at a few uh, yeah. coaching conferences and, and uh, coach education nights. And yeah. uh, I was working with Cork footballers last year, which yes. I, I really enjoyed. Uh, yeah, GA is my first love, really. Um, so um, I want to keep that up. And uh, yeah, I just, just like meeting people, I like doing podcasts. Um, where do I want to be four or five years' time? I obviously want to be successful. You know, um, so how do you define it? You've said Gatlin kept it very simple. Yeah, you've mentioned the road success quite a lot. Yes, yeah. but how does Bernard Jackman define success um, personally for yourself? I think if I'm making people better and getting better myself, I'll be, I'll be successful. You know, what I mean, if I if I can come back here in five years' time and say, um, you know, I've I've hit this amount of my revenue consistently over the last five years, or yeah. um, that'll be one part of it. Probably the, the hardest thing to measure is how how much you make people better. Yeah. Um, but I think I think once you see people being successful around you, it's obviously helped this man. <laughs> yeah, I yeah, inspired yeah. him in a session. <laughs> that was that's, about four or five years. That's good to hear. Yeah, yeah. that's good yeah. to hear. So no, obviously created an impact there. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, no, like it's it's hard to measure making people better, but you do know you do know when you see people developing and moving up their career or um, growing in confidence. Um, yeah. That's. That's brilliant, you know, and some of the some of the young players like Coach and Dragons are now starting to play for Wales, Aaron Wainwright, etc. So um that's that's really pleasing, you know, because I know I remember the coaches who gave me my first chance. Uh and while you can't monetize that, yeah. it's not all about money, you know. Excellent. Yeah. Biggest challenge you've ever faced and how did you bounce back from that? Um I think the biggest challenge was the dragons, to be honest, because join the club on the paces that we were going to have uh, some investment um, and that investment didn't happen. Uh, so then you're caught in a situation where, you know, the chances of being successful have, have diminished massively and you either make a stand and, and, and you know, you try and, I suppose, fight for, for that uh, investment or, or you or you decide, look, at, you know, I'm not going to be able to make the, the impression here that I went here to do. So, um and to be honest, that's the bounce back from that is is where I am now. To be honest, you know. So um, as I said, I could have. There was opportunities to go stay coaching, and people probably think, "Well, why would you get out of that?" Um, well, again, I think the challenge for me was to, to prove that I I'm able to do other stuff. Yeah. You know what I mean? And now I'm doing other stuff. Well, the first the first challenge was to get another opportunity to prove it. <laughs> so I got you know I got a good job, and and thankfully it, it, it's been going it's been going really well. So. Um, but again, I, I'm a very resilient person. Um, I've had loads of setbacks. I've had loads of brilliant stuff happen to me, but I've had loads of setbacks as well and dropped many times a player. Um, I actually was one of the first players or only players who ever lost his contract in Ireland, went back to the real world for a, for a year and got back into it. Yeah. So when I came back from Sale, uh, I thought I had a contract in Leinster and Munster. So I left Sale because uh, I wanted to play for Ireland. So I, um, I turned down an offer to stay in Sale said I'm moving back to Ireland and I was going to sign for said Leinster or Munster and then I failed the medical 
so I couldn't have a contract. The RFU wouldn't, couldn't contract me because I, I looked like I wasn't going to play for a year. So I went back and got a job as a medical rep, a pharmaceutical rep. Mm-hmm. Uh, I forgot, yeah, this is it's not well, that well known. And I joined Clontarf, which, well, I went back to Clontarf. Clontarf was my club. And I played AAL. I actually got rehab myself pretty quicker than people thought I could. Mm-hmm. Um, was working as a medical rep, nine to five, mm-hmm. and then playing for Clontarf in the AAL. And uh, ended up then, obviously, at the end of that year, getting offered a contract again. Mm-hmm. But at that stage, not many people had, no, no one had actually done it. No one had lost their contract in Ireland. Physioed themselves. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and well, I had a physio, but it just, yeah, rehabbed yeah. in a non professional environment yeah. and got back in. Uh, and it would be very hard to do now because you probably have guys coming through the academy who are yeah. professional. Um, but that was a big setback for me in terms of my professional rugby career. But it was a really good learning process for me in terms of just being belligerent and, and um, having that drive to, to make sure that you can control your destiny. What does high performance mean to you, Bernard? Um, it means being elite. It means being... It's a, it's a lot of different things. I think um, from an individual point of view, it's about having real clarity of purpose, mm. having drive, um, being really consistent. And consistency is, is absolutely huge, I think, for performance because we can all go out and perform well one day. Um, but if you don't have probably strong foundations and, and fundamentals... That'll be just one day, or it'll be you know it'll be now and again. Whereas the high performers are are people that you can rely on to produce X every Saturday or every Monday, every Tuesday, Wednesday. So um, they'd be the, the key behaviors for me. And, and and then I suppose from a team point of view, I think it's, you know real clarity of roles um, are generally very common in, in high performing teams. Um, discipline, you know, uh, individual and team, and I suppose again, it's that resilience and ability to to find solutions when when things go wrong. And that's probably the most important, or impressive thing for me about watching Dublin say in the GA that um, obviously ninety percent of the time they get in their own way, uh, but then there's been times where they've been under the caution of they've, they've been able to problem solve it, and, um, and that's the real real sign of success is that when things are going wrong, your ability to find a solution, or even sometimes it's just stay on on plan. Mm. and overcome it because the opposition uh, they go off 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 script so um, yeah that, that would be the, the, the big one for me is the ability to be flexible when you need to be perfect a few quick fires before yeah. I finish off what was your most enjoyable day in sport um, winning the Heine Cup with Leinster in 2009 what, what, who's the best player you ever played with or against best player I played the most talented player I ever played with and this is harsh on someone like O'Driscoll would be Jason Robinson, oh, yeah. the rugby league. In terms of ability, like a little armor. If you saw armor the weekend, like he has great feet, etc. Uh, and but and he is class. But Jason Robinson did it probably at the highest level in rugby league and rugby union, and and playing with him and training with him on a day to day basis. In terms of that, really exciting stuff, which is actually make people look stupid in defence. He had that. O'Driscoll had an all round game, which was was phenomenal, and it'd be very tight between the two of those. And um, the best player I ever played against. I think Johnny Wilkinson, to be honest, uh, in his ability to uh, to just deliver on on big occasions was, was probably one of the best. The best. Yeah, yeah run around, run you around the pitch. Yeah, Thank exactly. And kick goals, drop goals. Yeah. you know, put you in put you in the wrong area to field for you. Uh, defensively, very good leadership. Yeah, he was probably the best. Right. Who wins Six Nations next year? Um, England. I think so. Yeah. Unfortunately. Yeah. Um, how many Dublin win in a row? Where does it stop? 
well, obviously they're going through change now. Yeah. So is, is that a is that a positive or a negative? Um, you know the reports, and I'm only reading reports about Desi Farler are very good. Yeah. Um, obviously has Dublin GA in his DNA. I think the big thing about Dublin is is how well organised they are, and you'd imagine that'll stay yeah. stay stay the same. Um, but Kerry Kerry gave everyone hope. I think last uh, in September and a young team, so potentially there's a change, boys. Maybe seven or eight. Or <laughs> you know, it's hard to bet against them. You know? Absolutely, great yeah. punch. Yeah. Thanks. We set up this podcast, Burners, yeah. um, trying to figure out what makes high-performing individuals tick and yeah. how to translate knowledge from sport and business and back and forth. You've embodied that throughout, and this story, this this interview you've had today, is very much echoes all the sort of themes that we wanted to create from the echo from the start. You created impact with himself back in the day, and I've really learned a lot from you today. So we're both very grateful and thankful you came. Pleasure, pleasure to be here. Best of luck with everything. Uh, I really enjoyed it. Hopefully, you go for continued success. Thanks.